This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. So did you buy the dip? Well, if you're DCAing along with us today, you are about to. And, uh, well, on a positive note, the classic stereotypical Florida weather has returned. As you recall, last week it was downright chilly. I was wearing a jacket in the studio because the studio doesn't have a heater. Uh, However, that is not the case today. It is a warm, glorious 75 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 24 degrees Celsius, uh, here on the space coast of Florida. And before we get into a whole lot, I do want to take a minute to remind you that uh, last week we mentioned that Apple had started switching off automatic downloads. If you haven't listened to five episodes of a podcast within the last two weeks, and obviously that's a pretty high bar for a weekly podcast. So if you're having to search for this podcast, that may be why. If you don't already have automatic downloads enabled or re-enabled as the case may be, it is a really great way to help feed that algorithm monster. And I know I like to listen to podcasts when I'm traveling, and it's really nice to have all my favorite podcasts ready to listen if I'm on an airplane without Wi-Fi, for example. So if you missed out on last week's podcast because you didn't get an automatic download and you had to go searching for it, uh, that's probably why. So if you do us a solid and switch those automated automatic downloads back on, uh, rate and review the podcast, rate and review the episode, uh, that'll help. That'll help. That'll help quite a bit as far as uh, helping helping our podcast be featured to more and more people and hopefully helping us orange pill more future plebs. All right, before we get into the news, let's take a real quick look at the vital statistics. Today is Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. And of course, that means it's DCA Wednesday. But perhaps more importantly, at this moment, we are sitting at a block height of 827,192 and Bitcoin is ringing in at a U.S. dollar value of $39,645 per Bitcoin. You know, that may seem like it's down quite a bit, and it is down quite a bit from pushing 50000 in the pre-ETF approval hype. But really, you only have to go back to the end of November, the beginning of December. Our DCA Wednesday episode on November 29th, for example, we were stacking at $37,925. So we're actually doing better than we were just two months ago. And speaking of better... One uh, one filthy fiat dollar will currently purchase you 2,522 sats. That is almost 200 sats more than last week, so that's really cool. And if your goal is to stack sats, not to necessarily have a specific fiat value in your, in your you know, represented in your hardware wallet, but to accumulate as many sats as you can before hyper-Bitcoinization, uh, this little bit of a price break certainly will help with that. The current block puts us just 12,808 blocks away from the next minor award having TikTok next block. That's still looking like that's going to be on April 20th of this year. So less than three months away now from the next minor award having. As you know, the reward that miners receive for finding the most recent Bitcoin block, the next Bitcoin block, is cut in half every 210,000 blocks and will be cut in half 
approximately every four years, but every 210,000 blocks until the miner reward goes to zero and the last of the almost 21 million Bitcoins will be issued. I say almost because there aren't going to quite be 21 million Bitcoin. We just use that 21 million number because people like a nice round number. And for those of you paying attention, the current price of Bitcoin gives it a market capitalization of $777.3 billion. That's down almost or down right about $60 billion since last DCA Wednesday. Still far short of that $1 trillion market cap we've yet to retake. Uh, and as you know, I've always said that people like magic numbers. They like those big, nice round numbers. And Despite the fact we saw the ETF hype and a lot of talk about the ETF and the run-up to the ETF, uh, when, when, the, when the whole Bitcoin never died thing really starts sticking in people's minds will be when it crosses that $1 trillion market cap. So a lot of people don't think market cap is really important. I, however, do think it's important because normies are strange. Normies like round numbers. And uh, $1 trillion, I think, is that magic number that's really going to make it stand out in people's mind, especially the naysayers that there's, that still exist in the traditional financial media, well, when Bitcoin crosses that $1 trillion market cap, uh, they'll sit up and pay attention. And uh, that should happen before, you know, well, sooner, sooner rather than later, right? Obviously, Bitcoin traditionally sets a new all-time high about six months to a year after the halving. The halving is coming up fast. You know, it seems like just the other day I was mentioning, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. After Thanksgiving is Christmas. After Christmas is New Year's. And after that, you know, we got the halving. And well, Thanksgiving came and went. Christmas came and went, New Year's came and went. Before you know it, the halving will have come and gone, and the next face-melting bull run will have kicked off, and that's going to be a lot of fun. If you are, if you're new, uh, if you're class of twenty-one or newer, and you and you you got in after the all-time high or right at the all-time high, but missed the fun run-up, uh, it's it's exciting. Uh, don't let your, uh, you know, they say that hodling through a bear market is the hardest time to hodl. I personally find that hodling during the bull run is the hardest time to hodl. Because if you've been in it more than one cycle, you know, we're just looking at the history. You know, Bitcoin sets a new all-time high, and then traditionally it's had these big 50 to 80% tr uh, retracements, and then two years of a, a bear market or crab market and they, uh, before the next halving and the next bull run. And knowing that's going to happen, you know, picture this. Picture Bitcoin goes up to a half a million dollars of Bitcoin right now, you know, uh, more than 10x where we're at. And that's not beyond the realm of possibility. Bitcoin can 10x overnight. You know, it's, it's done crazier things, right? So knowing that Bitcoin's going to drop back to like 100,000 or ho or assuming that you know that Bitcoin's going to drop back to 100,000, it's really tough. The temptation to sell some to try and buy in when it dips back down and expand your stack, is it's real. And uh, I think that's harder than hodling when you're down because when you're down, you can look forward, your eyes are on the prize, so to speak, and you're trying to build that stack because you know the next all-time high. Eventually there will be, no more cycles. Bitcoin will just go up and to the right. You know, we'll have that super cycle that people have predicted every every cycle that I've been into Bitcoin. They were predicting a super cycle in 2016 that that was going to be the last cycle, and then they predicted that again with the 2020 having, and uh, and they're they're already starting to hint at it with this having because uh, you know they're talking about the Wall Street and the institutional money coming, the nation state money coming, and, and when that comes, the logic being that. You know the ETFs and the and the governments aren't just going to dump and panic sell, and they're not going to get liquidated quite quite like normies do. Although, never underestimate the power of human stupidity. Anyway, the logic being when when the big money, the Wall Street money, the professional money comes in, it will be it will be in for the long haul, and therefore we won't have the big sell offs, the big panic sell offs. Uh, I 
I, I don't think that, I mean, big money is coming this cycle, but I, I don't think we, we'll, I don't think we'll have shaken the cycle yet. And that this won't be the, this won't be the super cycle. If we ever have a such a thing as a super cycle, I think supply and demand is, you know, it's a tried and true principle of economics. And as long as there's Bitcoin being issued to miners, and as long as that's getting cut in half, you know, the, the supply of Bitcoin on exchanges for people to purchase is largely Bitcoin that's mined by commercial miners, that they have to sell Bitcoin to pay for their expenses, to pay for the electricity they're using, to pay their employees, to pay rent, whatever, taxes. And when that gets cut in half, the amount of Bitcoin available to purchase on the exchanges gets cut in half or roughly in half. And, you know, fewer Bitcoin and the same amount of money chasing that Bitcoin obviously would result in higher prices. And I don't see that effect going away anytime soon. And then, of course, people get exuberant. They get overly optimistic. They start saying things like 200K by having day or by, by conference day, 100K by conference day. Uh, because it's really easy to let this go to your head when, when you're looking like a genius to all your friends and family because Bitcoin is 10x or 20x what you paid for it. And uh, I'm just saying human psychology is a funny thing. And, I, and, and basic fundamental principles of economics are almost like principles of physics. You know, they, they just, they just, they're not going to change anytime soon. And I'm not talking about you know, Austrian economics and monetary theory, et cetera. I'm talking about barter level principles of economics like you have a you have a chicken and i want it i'm gonna have to give you what you value that chicken for regardless of what that is if i really want that chicken all right that was a heck of a tangent right so we were just talking about bitcoin's market cap triple seven 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 it doesn't get much luckier than that if you're superstitious about numbers currently though if you value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks it will purchase it will cost you 19 and a half ounces of gold to purchase just one bitcoin hey peter schiff bitcoin is on sale compared to where it was last week and the week before Still a heck of a lot more expensive than it was just back in October when less than a pound of gold would have purchased you one Bitcoin. And they say you know, that you get, the, they get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. And if you've been holding on to that gold and, and you've been rec- reluctant to get into Bitcoin, uh, you can do so now for 19 and a half ounces at the price of 19 and a half ounces of gold for just one Bitcoin. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 2,217 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That is one pizza every day for more than six years. That works out to about six years in one month, just shy of six years in one month worth of pizza for just one Bitcoin. That is a heck of a lot of food security to at least be able to eat once a day for six years on one Bitcoin. And of course, uh, in six years from now, will be a completely different having cycle. God only knows what Bitcoin will be worth at that point in time. So that's another number that's only going to go up into the right. The number of pizzas as pizzas trend to zero in Bitcoin terms. And speaking of Bitcoin and transactions of things you can do with Bitcoin, the mempool is still looking pretty bloated. According to Clark Moody's mempool, there are 128 blocks where the transactions pending in what Marty Bent likes to call Clark's teeny weeny mempool. That's up from 92 blocks last Wednesday and 103 the Wednesday before. So a significant increase in blocks. However, that is not translated into higher fees. So a lot of that's probably that ordinal inscription BRC20 spam because last week Clark Moody's fee estimator was recommending that if you had a high priority transaction that you wanted to guarantee was mined immediately in the next block or two, that it was going to cost you a fee of 164 sats per V-byte. That has been cut more than in half. They're now recommending a fee of 68 sats per V-byte. And a fee of just 33 sats per V-byte should be mined within a day. 
They're still saying that a fee of six sats per V-byte will be mined in a week. They've been saying that for months, though, and I have not seen a block with a six sat per V-byte fee in it that I can recall in, in, in that time. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be brave enough to try a six sat per V-byte fee. Maybe if you, if you really didn't care how long it was going to take to confirm. But looking at mempool.space, um, they're showing that anything below 21.8 sats per V-byte is getting purged for the mempool. So a six, pat, six sat per V-byte transaction isn't even going to sit in, in, in a lot of mempools. Uh, so it would never get confirmed. They are also telling a slightly different story on their fee estimator. Mempool.space is saying that a high-priority transaction should have a 27 sat uh, per V-byte fee, and that's the cheapest we've seen it in a long time. In fact, I'm scrolling through my notes here. It was 50 sats per V-byte last week, so almost double. Before that, it was a little cheaper, but it was still 31. That's the next cheapest I'm seeing in my notes for the last two months. So uh, if you do need to consolidate transactions or move some Bitcoin around, on chain now might be the time to do so that works out to about a dollar 50 us which uh, is still a lot more money than the last time i i consolidated transactions the nice thing about using cash app to do our stack when i'm getting ahead of myself is that they don't charge a mining fee when we transfer to hardware wallet so i haven't paid a lot of mining fees the last time i did it was less than a quarter so uh that's still significantly more expensive and Mempool.space is actually saying regardless of what your transaction priority is, a 27 sat per V-byte transaction will get confirmed because they're recommending medium, low, or no priority transactions include at least 27 sats per V-byte as well. But that's still a lot cheaper than their no priority transactions. Last week, we're recommending a 44 sat per V-byte transaction. So fees are trending in the right direction. That's good to see. Um, they're still... They're still expensive, but they're nowhere near as crazy as they were. And they're certainly nowhere near as crazy as they were in the 2017 bull run when they were talking 50 US dollar fees for an on-chain transaction. And that was when Bitcoin was only worth like seventeen dollars or $18,000 per Bitcoin. So the price of Bitcoin is double. So that would effectively be a you know, $50 fee then would be the equivalent of $100 of the Bitcoin now. And that, that would just be astronomical. Uh, so... Of course, none of this matters if you've got a good Lightning node and you have a decent number of channels and you're transacting on Lightning or transacting less than less than ideally on a uh, on a custodial Lightning app. But if you are transacting on chain, most wallets will let you will let you do replace by fee. So if you if you do want to lowball your transaction and it doesn't get mined, hopefully you have the ability to change that. That's something that you need to uh, you need to be familiar with before you before you start playing with that because you don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to end up sending a transaction where you where you, you don't know what you're doing, and you end up you end up uh, with a transaction that gets that that you needed confirmed right away that doesn't get confirmed. All right, that transaction metric that you know has been my favorite for most of this podcast, Bitcoin's twenty four hour twenty four hour average transaction rate. Man, it's 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 holding true. You know, I've always said that during the history of this podcast, when the transaction rate was up. From the previous week when it was above a certain level which used to be about 3.14 back before uh, back before taproot uh that the price of bitcoin was up and then when, when the price was down week over week the price of bitcoin was down and last week bitcoin's 24-hour average transaction rate was averaging 4.99 transactions per second and currently it's averaging 4.31 transactions per second and true to form the price is down so you know, this, there's not necessarily any magic to this metric, and I don't know if anybody uses it, if there's any kind of TA, other than the fact that I've just watched this metric every Wednesday for two and a half years, and it just seemed to correlate. So they say correlation is not causation, but 
for now, it's still it's still ringing true that when uh, when transactions de- rates are declining, the price is down. So we'll keep following that metric, even if it is just a coincidence. Speaking of on-chain, speaking of mining, etc., uh, a couple days after the last DCA Wednesday, we had a relatively large difficulty decrease in how hard it is to find the next Bitcoin block. In fact, it was decrease a decrease of 3.9%, and I attributed that to the winter storm that was moving across most of the country. You remember, it was cold here in Florida. It was below freezing in Texas, where a large portion of the hash rate is. And I heard someone report that a full 25% of network hash rate was offline. And then that's what really, that's what resulted in that that big 3.9% difficulty decrease. That's currently not the case. It's nice and toasty warm here in Florida. It's warm across most of the country, or relatively warm anyway, certainly in the southern states like Texas. And as a result, we're looking at a increase next time around, which is going to be 1,384 blocks from now. As you know or may know, the Bitcoin mining difficulty is adjusted every 2,016 blocks, which works out to about every two weeks. And that's with the goal of keeping blocks coming in at an average of 10 minutes between blocks. Sometimes they come in one after another. I saw them take over an hour last night. And, you know, that's why they take 2016 blocks so they can get a nice average before the, before the protocol makes that adjustment. Uh, but currently, it's looking like we're going to see an increase in the difficulty to mine the next block somewhere around February 3rd, about nine and a half days from now, of anywhere between two and 2.24 to 2.8%. We're still quite a ways out, so you know that could give, that could get even worse as hash rate comes back online or the average gets a little more reliable because we're still we're still over halfway or less than halfway uh, through this mining difficulty epic. But currently blocks are zooming in on an average time of 9 minutes and 46 seconds. Obviously that's faster than once every 10 minutes, and that's why we're looking at a 2 and a quarter to 2.8% difficulty increase. Real quick, I want to take a minute to thank those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 up, such as Fountain. You can earn sats for listening to your favorite podcasts on Fountain, as well as support your favorite podcast through the value for value model by streaming sats to your favorite podcasts on a per minute basis, or by boosting that podcast. That's a one-time deal. It's a shout out, but it's a shout out on the Lightning Network. So you send a message with some sats attached. And I'm happy to report that apparently Fountain has fixed their clipping issue because I've heard multiple podcasts talk about it, and I've gotten reports from our listeners that that, that that clipping issue appears to be resolved. And along those lines, we have a shout out from Leggy, a boost from Leggy. Leggy sent 5,000 sats and said, thank God Fountain works again, exclamation point. That's good to know, and, and thank you once again, Leggy. Thank you for the boost. Thank you for listening, and thank you for helping me troubleshoot that because, man, that was really concerning when, when I got that message from you that, that the podcast Audible was, was nigh unlistenable. Uh, and I'm glad it wasn't my fault, but it was, you know, obviously it was, uh, it was frustrating trying to figure out exactly what the problem was. And it, it was a solid week before I heard other podcasters start complaining about it as well. So fortunately, it looks like Fountain has scrapped that, that clipping, that the clipping software that they were using to take pauses out of podcasts to speed up podcasts because it really was atrocious. And speaking of our listeners, our geographic distribution of listeners has had a little bit of a change. And by that change, I just mean it kind of went back to where it had been for a long time. Our top 10 countries by listenership uh, are as follows. Number one remains the United States, but uh, they've lost a percentage point. It used to be 56% of our listeners were in the United States, and currently that's only 55%. 
Still over half of you, so thank you to those of you in the United States listening. This is an English podcast. I'm in the United States, so it makes sense that most of our listeners are here. Number two remains Argentina. Number three remains Germany. And here's the shakeup. Luxembourg has retaken the number four spot. As you remember, Canada had passed Luxembourg to take the number four spot. And now Canada is back to number five. Luxembourg is number four. So I'm getting ahead of myself. I forgot to say muchas gracias, amigos, in Argentina. And danke schön, mein Freund, in Deutschland. And danke schön, mein Freund, in Luxembourg or Morian. And the change is the, we have the same number of listeners in Canada, but it looks like we picked up a listener or two in Luxembourg. So, Leggy, if that's you orange-pilling people and turning people onto our podcast, thank you once again for that. Uh, and or if, uh, well, it, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say maybe you just switched to listening when you're in Luxembourg because our percentage in Germany has remained exactly the same. The only thing really that's changed is Luxembourg picked up that 1% that the, that the United States lost. Number five, of course, is Canada. So thank you to our friends in the frozen white north. Hopefully your weather's a little bit warmer up there this week as well. Number six is Spain. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Spain. Number seven is Colombia. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Colombia. Number eight is Sweden. So thank you to those of you listening in Sweden. Although I apologize, I don't know how to hel say hello or thank you in Swedish. Number nine remains the United Kingdom, where I do know how to say hello and thank you to our friends in the United Kingdom. So thank you to those of you listening in the United Kingdom. Number 10 as always, the last few months remains Venezuela. So, muchas gracias, amigos, in Venezuela. And I'm lurking down at number 11 still is Mexico. So, be interesting to see if we pick up any more plebs in Mexico. It's really cool that we have so many Spanish-language-speaking countries, so many uh, amongst our, our geographic dis distribution listeners, uh, amongst our listenership, so many Spanish speakers. So, uh, maybe maybe Mexico will move up in the, in the rankings. Uh, you're just under there at, at number 11. So, if you're listening from Mexico... Grab a buddy and, and, and have them listen to a podcast or two. Maybe you can break into the top 10 next week. All right. So real quick, let's get into the news. Of course, the news that everyone's talking about is the price. Bitcoin had that sell the news moment, although I think it was less sell the news and more uh, just the, the outflows from, from Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. We've seen uh, several billion dollars flow out of GBTC. And even though the ETFs, have been some of the most successful ETFs ever to launch. They're having a real hard time keeping up with those outflows from GBTC. That being said, there's only so much GBTC to be sold, and that will come to an end sooner than later. And hey, I've said numerous times that every time the price of Bitcoin drops, think of it as your second chance to reach that stacking goal that you were worried you had missed. Admit it. When Bitcoin was pushing $50,000, a little a little bit of you said, I'm never going to get to that stacking goal. Even I did. I was saying that we have a 10 million sat stacking goal for the kind of unofficial stacking goal for our DCA Wednesday series. And it was starting to look like that's going to be a lot harder to achieve as we're getting fewer and fewer sats for our US dollars. So every time the price of Bitcoin drops, we're getting an opportunity to stack those extra sats that we thought we weren't ever going to get to stack. Of course, it's also spurred a lot of memes. There's that, that meme with the guy poking Bitcoin to the stick saying, do something. And then it you know, the, the meme I prefer is when it rockets up and shoots through his face. Uh, but, you know, this one, of course, the meme is dropping off a cliff. Uh, Bitcoin's dropping off the cliff. And people are like, no, no, not that. But also, We Are Satoshi on Twitter tweeted out a meme that uh, shows Winnie the Pooh and Piglet sitting on a log. And uh, Piglet says, what time is it, Pooh? And Pooh says, why, it's time to BTFD, Piglet. And certainly it is. So hopefully you bought the dip. Just because you're doing DCA doesn't mean if Bitcoin's on sale, you can't pick up a little extra. Uh, with your dry powder, but fortunately, we're today's our DCA day, and we're and oftentimes I've lamented that Bitcoin will go on a dip, and then by the time DCA Wednesday rolls around, it's right where it had been the previous three months in a row. 
there was a lot of that going on. So it looks like we're actually going to buy unless I talk so long that the price of Bitcoin explodes and we miss out. But I'm fairly confident that, that um, we're going to get a good deal on Bitcoin today. I do want to remind you that I have said numerous times in this podcast that each of the previous cycles has had significant correction and it's had a significant correction a month or two before the halving. And while each time has been blamed on different causes, for example, last cycle, right before the halving, we had the thing that caused the economy of the world to come to a screeching halt. But either way, we've had some sort of black swan or some sort of event a month or two before every halving where the prices dipped. And if you look at the chart of the different cycles and where we're at in the cycles overlying each other, overlapping each other, uh, this correlation certainly rhymes. I've also said multiple times that uh, in addition to the fact that we have a major pullback right before the halving, or we have had a major pullback right before the halving every single cycle, that a normal, whatever that means, a normal cycle, we're usually about three times the cycle low on halving days. So our cycle low was around sixteen, fifteen thousand $15,000 range, depending where you're getting your data. So three times 15 would be $45,000. So to, if we had crossed the having greater than $50,000, that, that would have been the outlier. So we're, Bitcoin's going to do what Bitcoin's going to do. But so far, you know, this, is, this, is, this cycle is rhyming remarkably well, other than the fact we had that double top. But even the first cycle had a, had a bit of a double top. So, uh, you know, they'd say history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And, and I think we're definitely rhyming. Nonetheless, Hodladot gave us a little bit of perspective on the current price range yesterday when he tweeted out, the fact we are at 38K and the sentiment is bearish is a testament to the human race's capacity for high time preference and herd mentality. And that's certainly right, because as I pointed out when we were going over the stats, literally we're exactly where we were just a month and a half ago. That And before that, you know, remember Bitcoin was stuck in the $20,000, $25,000 range for several months. We talked about the crab market. All of a sudden, we're more than $10,000 higher, and people people are perceiving that as if Bitcoin's dipped, that if Bitcoin crashed, that Bitcoin's low. And in all reality, we're more than double the cycle low. VJ Boyapati tweeted a thread yesterday assigning blame for the current Bitcoin price trap squarely on the shoulders of Digital Currency Group and GBTC's Barry Silbert. Uh, he tweeted, the reason for Bitcoin's recent price the recent drop in price, despite the ETF floodgates being opened, is directly related to GBTC redemptions by, by bankruptcy, bankruptcy estates such as FTX. And the reason GBTC is held by so many companies in bankruptcy is directly tied to the fraud by at Barry Silbert. And he's right. In fact, it's been reported that FTX, dumped, FTX alone dumped $1 billion worth of GBTC as part of their bankruptcy restructuring efforts. And remember, they're not alone. BlockFi, Genesis, et cetera, all ended up in bankruptcy in large part to making bets on their GBTC arbitrage play. Uh, and they all have or had plenty of GBTC to liquidate. And of course, you didn't used to be able to cash out. There was no redemption method when GBTC was just a trust. And now that's an ETF, you can. And when they sell that and cash out in cash, then the ETF has to sell that Bitcoin. Uh, obviously, if they're in bankruptcy and they're trying to get their their customers, the FTX victims money back to them. They're not going to be rolling it into some other ETF. Now that the GBTC Bitcoin is quote unquote unlocked, so to speak, they're dumping it for US dollars in accordance with bankruptcy rules. But eventually that's going to stop. It's already got to be, you know, slowing. I think there's, I mean, GBTC had a, had a ton of Bitcoin locked up in it, but not all of it was, was owned by people that want out or that people that want out into US dollars. There are plenty of people that want out of GBTC, obviously, because 
just just the fact that it has the highest fees out of any of the ETFs. But if they liquidate their GBTC and then buy, you know, the uh, the Black shares, or the uh, BlackRock iShares, or you know, the Bitwise or the the Fidelity ETF, then you know that's a one for one, um, one in one out kind of situation. So it wouldn't really have a negative effect on the price because for every Bitcoin sold, there'd be one that was purchased. And that's kind of the rules anyway, right? Moving on to more general economic news, inflation and its knock-on effects remain in the news and the major concern when normies are polled on what is the most important thing affecting their lives. Ironically, though, if you do a search for the news about these polls, you'll find an almost total blackout with the most recent stories about this, uh, about polls and, and how they relate to as relate as an election issue. We're all written prior to Thanksgiving. That being said, Bitcoiners and normies alike continue to feel the pinch from a rapidly devaluing currency. One such effect is that despite modest wage growth, the IRS has not taken inflation into account for tax brackets. So if you earn more, you will not only pay more in taxes, despite potentially losing purchasing power, you may even find yourself in a higher tax bracket, compounding how much more you'll be taxed. So you can, I always thought capital gains and, and, and taxes related to inflation were particularly infuriating, not just because inflation is a particularly insidious form of theft, but because, you know, if if the cost of a good doubles, everything is more expensive, the same thing kind of usually happens with your stock. So if you own X company stock, not X Twitter, but like XYZ, and the price doubles, but only because the everything got more expensive, you basically have the same asset. You've got, you know, one apple worth one orange kind of thing, but... Um, the IRS is going to say, no, you doubled your money. That's a capital gain, and you owe us 30% of that in taxes, which is insidious because, you know, if you had enough stock to purchase a car, you still have enough stock to purchase a car, but they think you've doubled your money, and that's assholic, pardon my French. Anyway, to add insult to injury, it's usually reported whenever there's a story about inflation or taxes or both that they usually hit the elderly and people on limited fixed incomes the hardest, and Fox business is reporting today that uh, Social Security recipients could get hit with, with a surprise tax bill this year. As I kind of already mentioned, the article goes on to say, although Social Security represent, represent, recipients receive a cost of living adjustment that is indexed to inflation, the amount of benefits exempted from taxes has remained unchanged for decades. Since 1984, retirees have have owed taxes on their benefits if their adjusted gross income up to up including up to 85% of their social security payments is more than $25,000 if they're single or $32,000 if they're a married couple. So isn't that nice? The money that you worked and that they took out of your paycheck and held against your will for your entire life when you finally get it back from the government, you owe income tax on it. Surprise, suckers. The article goes on and that's my words. That's not that's not Fox business. The article however continues. Uh, now Experts say the ongoing inflation crisis could ultimately push more seniors into higher tax brackets as a result of last year's 8.7% COLA increase, the biggest since 1981. It increased the average monthly benefit by about $140. So you know your grocery bill went up by more than $140 a month. You know the real inflation number was definitely greater than 8.7%. But even if it was exactly one for one at 8.7% and the seniors were doing exactly the same. If inflation didn't count, they were unfazed because their cola, their cola cost of living increase made up for it. Uh, they're going to get screwed on taxes. So, you know, surprise suckers. You didn't think the government was just going to give you your money back with those strings attached, did you? Obviously not. You can always count on the government to do the wrong thing. 
Cedric Youngleman put inflation into perspective yesterday, tweeting a graph that illustrates lost purchasing power in relation to the minimum wage, tweeting hashtag Bitcoin facts. And the tweet graph, the, the, the text on the graph says, the biggest indicator of U.S. decline, you could buy six Big Macs with one hour of minimum wage in 1980, but today you can't even buy one, despite minimum wage more than doubling. And it shows in 1980, minimum wage was $3.10 an hour, and a Big Mac cost 50 cents. In 2022, the last year they have their data for it, said the minimum wage was $7.25, and a Big Mac is now $8. That gets you approximately 0.91 Big Macs per hour, as opposed to 6.2 Big Macs per hour in 1980. This isn't a, you know, why in my day I remember Sunny kind of thing, but it wasn't that long ago when I remember that, you know, Subway used to run those commercials. Uh, what was it? Uh, I'm a working man and I want my share. I want a cold cut combo from New what from you know where or whatever. And it was the whole deal was you could get us you could get a cold cut combo, a six inch sandwich for a buck sixty nine. And in fact, that was the jingle. I got a buck sixty nine. So what will I get? I don't want nothing that'll put me in debt. I'm a working man and I want my share. I want a cold cut combo from you know where. I don't know why that jingle stuck in my head. But then you remember they uh, five five dollar five dollar foot long. Well, good luck getting a freaking sandwich at Subway for five bucks anymore. Uh, and that's all because we printed a shit ton of money and it's not, this is the victory that these politicians have over the normies is the average normie thinks everything's getting more expensive. Nothing is getting more expensive. One Big Mac is still worth one Whopper. One Subway sandwich is still worth one Jimmy John sandwich. What it's not worth is the same amount of dollars because the dollars are worth less. You're trying to trade something that's worth less for the same good. You have to trade more of it. And it isn't that the it isn't that the sandwich got more expensive. It's that they are screwing you over by printing more money and stealing from your savings, stealing your time, stealing your hard-earned time, those hours of your life that you converted into those dollars. So if it seems like your money used to go a lot further in 1980, if you're old enough to remember that, then you're right. I remember one of my first minimum wage jobs. Uh, Minimum wage is four and a quarter, and I only needed a dollar fifty to go to lunch. So that wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was for some of you, but we're talking, uh, you know, a couple decades ago. We're not talking ancient history. We're not talking nineteen oh one when, you know, you could buy a a suit for five dollars. I mean, a, an Armani suit for five dollars or a house for you know a thousand. Uh, we're talking about just a couple decades ago. We're talking only like four presidents ago. Speaking of economics, the establishment's favorite economist continues to roll out overwhelming evidence that he is either a Goebbels-level propagandist or he doesn't have the slightest freaking clue, despite his highly touted credentials. Jameson Lopp tweeting out yesterday, breaking Nobel-winning economist figures out that consumers care about prices. Retweeting Paul Krugman's tweet, some thoughts about inflation and vibes. Over the past year or so, it has become more or less conventional wisdom that people care about prices, not rate of change. So, for example, they care that groceries cost more, not that price increases have slowed. Well, no shit, Sherlock. I don't care that my grocery bill is going up by 2% this month over last month. I mean, yeah, it, it sucks when it went up by 10% or 20%, but the fact of the matter is... You know, despite the fact the White House came out and said that things are getting cheaper, that's not how it works. The groceries are not getting cheaper. They're just getting slightly, they're getting more expensive, slightly slower. And so your dollar is still not going as far. You still have to put that steak back and get ground beef or put that ground beef back and get 
you know, ground chuck uh, or ramen noodles. Uh, and the fact that you're getting that the fight that you're getting poorer or slightly slower, of course, is upsetting even to, uh, I have no idea why. I mean, I, he's got to know better, right? He's not that big of a moron. I mean, he can't be. Although if you remember, Paul Krugman is the dimwit that brought us the infamous 1998 quote by 2005 or so, it will become clear that the internet's impact on the economy has been no greater than the fax machines. So, you know, maybe he is that stupid. And you can't hardly blame him because he holds a lot of credentials in, uh, in a highly flawed science. The fact we even call it a science is, is cringeworthy. Anyway, the clown show continues with James Lop also pointing out today that everyone's favorite reverse indicator, Jim Cramer, has been on a roll this week. Jameson Lop pointed out, tweeted out just a couple hours ago, Jim only mentioned Bitcoin twice in 2023. He's posted about it nine times this month. Keep them coming at Jim Cramer. And if we scroll backwards to the first quote from January 18th, he said, nasty beginning to the Bitcoin sell-off. Someone's probably going to try to make a stand here. But as we said last night, you can't have an asset double in value by hundreds of billions of dollars in anticipation of an ETF. Then almost no one shows up. Uh, you know, that's flawed for multiple reasons, not the least of which is the no one shows up part because, you know, we're on track to see $2 billion in inflows during the first two weeks. In fact, the inflows into the ETFs this week are basically on par with one of the most successful ETFs of all time, Vanguard's VU, VOO, the, uh, their, uh, their stock index ETF, which sees about $1 billion a week. So... Uh, that's not a weak stretch by a weak start by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, we all know that Jim Cramer is uh, is kind of famous for always saying the exact opposite of what happens. For example, his most his the next tweet that he said on January nineteenth was, "You knew they would make a stand on Bitcoin here. Let them try and hold it up for a couple of days." Then, tweeting three days later, unlikely that Bitcoin finds its footing. So forecasting that Bitcoin is going to keep crashing. Bitcoin equals tough own. A few hours after that. Also on the 22nd, now that Bitcoin's down about 20% from its high, I expect a strong stand to be made, but it won't hold because not enough money is coming in. New theme, number go down. Obviously, Bitcoin has gone up since he made that post, so that's par for the course for Jim Cramer. Finally, the last tweet was today, Bitcoin, so strong early this morning, seems a tad heavy here. And of course, I'm looking at the price right now, and it's gone up about $200 just while I've been talking. So keep them coming, as Jameson Lop says. Keep them coming, Jim, because we all know that the exact opposite of what you say is what happens. So by all means, poo-poo on Bitcoin, because uh, that's the only way it's going to go to the moon. I mean, if he says Bitcoin's going to moon, then, I'm, then, then you need to start worrying, plebs. This is really cool. Bitcoin brings proof of reserves to the ETF space. Bitwise tweeting out just a couple hours ago. Announcement. Today, the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF becomes the first U.S. Bitcoin ETF to publish the Bitcoin addresses of its holdings. Now anyone can verify BitB's holdings and flows directly on the blockchain. On-chain transparency is core to Bitcoin's ethos. The tweet continues, but they list their Bitcoin address, and it shows that they've got 11,858.63 Bitcoin with a market value of $465,314,254.64. So uh, that's really cool. Proof of, proof of reserves, so to speak, uh, on, the, uh, on the Bitcoin ETFs. And uh, that's a sign of you don't change Bitcoin. Bitcoin changes you. And Bitcoin's changing Wall Street, slowly but surely. 
Speaking of less than positive economic news, Yahoo Finance ran the following headline Friday. Why regional banks aren't out of the woods yet. Sizable drops in Q4 profit are a reminder of how challenging 2023 was and 2024 still holds problems. Remember, the only reason we didn't have more regional banks fail is because they're te- they're all technically insolvent, but you know they they introduced did the bank term funding program, the BTFP or whatever, and that's supposed to end in another m- month and a half, two months, right before the halving. So we'll see what happens because those banks are on shaky ground. I believe it was iTruist that reported they lost nine billion dollars in the last quarter, uh, absolutely astounding number, and that is still that's with that's with being able to hold that's with being able to report their their bonds that are underwater at not mark to market at, 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 at what their redemption value will be 20 or 30 years in the future, which is, you know, uh, witchcraft. It's not, it's cooking the books. It's smoke and mirrors. Speaking of bankers, I heard Jamie Dimon referred to multiple times this week as Epstein's banker. And I think that's fantastic because, you know, he's been on this anti-Bitcoin spree. He was at Davos saying that once again, that Bitcoin's only used by sex traffickers, money launders, tax evaders, etc. All things that... Uh, his bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, has had to pay fines for, including being Epstein's banker. You know, handling all the finances for Epstein Island. So that's an example of what they say—the the pot calling the kettle black. And uh, I think this this whole reminding people that he's Epstein's banker is is genius because for the longest time, the leftists, the authoritarians on the leftist spectrum in Solinsky's Rules for Radicals, which has uh, kind of been the playbook for the modern Democratic Party. In fact. You know, Barack Obama taught a course on Rules for Radicals, on Solinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, and Hillary Clinton wrote her college thesis on Solinsky's Rules for Radicals. So it's by no means an inconsequential book. And one of the things Solinsky says in that book is that if you pick your enemy, you need to frame it. You need to, you need to hang it. Uh, you need to frame it. You need to, you need to hang a nickname on it. You need to, you know, you need to give it a, you need to paint the picture of something bad by, by hanging a moniker on it. Like, um, uh, is, is escaping me here, but like Florida's law that says that you can't treat they can't treat sex you can't teach sexuality to kindergarten students. Um, the the LBG, LGBTQ community has labeled that the "Don't Say Gay" bill, and it doesn't actually say anything about sexuality at all. It doesn't say anything about heterosexuality or homosexuality. It just says you can't teach kindergartners, you can't teach really young kids how to have sex, regardless of who you're having sex with. But they frame it as don't say gay because that makes it sound worse than it is. It makes it sound like it's an anti-gay bill. And, uh, you know, they tried to frame, they've tried to hang this this chain around Bitcoin's neck with, with the boil the oceans thing and the Scala Satoshi thing. They've tried to frame Bitcoin to, uh, to prejudice people. When when you think of Bitcoin, you think of it in terms of, of the narrative that they set. And so this is flipping it, this is flipping that on its head. They're framing Jamie Dimon, Jamie Dimon as Epstein's banker. And it's double whammy because it's it's absolutely true. So. I, I chuckle every time I hear that because it's neat to see uh, it's neat to see the tables turn and 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 the you know they, the people keep trying to they keep trying to frame Bitcoin in a negative light and in, and the Bitcoiners turn around and flip down on its head and the only thing that's stuck is when we frame them in a negative light with something like Epstein's banker uh, it's even even more so because it's true so on a positive note I I took a road trip uh, up to uh, Jacksonville Florida and North Florida South Georgia basically it's just on the Florida Georgia border, and it was cold up there. It was definitely jacket weather up there. I mean, it was cool in Cocoa Beach, but it was it was thirty four, so almost zero Celsius in uh, in Jacksonville. 
Anyway, I went up there to see the uh, the Jacksonville Naval Museum, which is where the destroyer USS Orlick is. And it's a destroyer that was built in 1945. It was built for World War II, but it, it, built, it got built too late. It didn't see action in World War II, but it was in service till like 1984. So it was in service for a really long time. It's a pretty historic uh, destroyer. Not as big as a battleship, but still a pretty big boat with pretty big guns. That's not the point. The point is, at the very end, like everything else, you go through the gift shop uh, and... Uh, we're looking at the T-shirts and souvenirs in the gift shop, and underneath the T-shirts, on the shelf, kind of semi-obscure by the T-shirts, I see a copy of the Bitcoin Standard. And I said, hey, that's cool. Who's reading the Bitcoin Standard? And the old Vietnam veteran who was the docent there that was manning the gift shop raised his head and said, I am. My brother's a stockbroker, and he gave it to me, and I've been reading it. So, I mean, this guy was probably 80. And he's reading the Bitcoin standard. He's not just learning about Bitcoin. He doesn't just know about Bitcoin. He's reading the Bitcoin standard. And props to his stockbroker brother for, for orange-pilling him. And incidentally, a stockbroker that, that, that is a Bitcoiner, you know, you, that's, we talk about Bitcoin changing Wall Street. Uh, that's certainly an example of that because you wouldn't, you know, that's the bankers and the brokers that, that were, uh, you know, if maybe they wanted to get their, their, their grubby mitts on Bitcoin. Maybe they wanted to, you know, try and capture Bitcoin or make some of the money off Bitcoin. Like, like with the ETFs, for example. But I guarantee the average person that was touting the ETFs wasn't reading heavy lifting like, you know, the Bitcoin standard. And that's not necessarily, you know, mastering Bitcoin level technical, but it's a great book. And it was really cool to see an 80-something-year-old war veteran uh, reading, reading the Bitcoin standard. So that is an example of how we're winning. Also in some somewhat positive news, Donald Trump, former president, presumptive GOP nominee for the for the presidential race in, uh, in this year, the end of this year, has twice now reiterated an anti-CBD stance and that CBDC stance. And that isn't the only part of it. That's probably not even the biggest part of it. He said that the reason he's against anti-central bank digital currencies is because Vivek Ramaswamy advised him, told him about how horrible they were and how they can be used to take away freedom. That is a good sign. If he's going to be taking, if he becomes president again and he's taking his advice from people like Vivek, you know, love Vivek or hate Vivek, of the two people who are running for president, the two people who I think had the best grasp on Bitcoin were Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on the Democrat, well, now independent side, because you know, the Democrats uh, railroaded him out of being able to run for the nomination, so he's running as an independent. But RFK Jr., obviously, you know, he spoke at Bitcoin 2020 or 2023, gave a heck of a good speech. Uh, and then Vivek. So RFK Jr. and Vivek were probably the two most articulate as far as Bitcoin is concerned, um, other people that were running for president. So if Donald Trump, you know, oftentimes you politicians have really big egos, and if you ran against them, that's it. You know, you're you're out. But if Donald Trump is going to bring Vivek on board on his team, uh, he's he's a smart guy. Even if you don't trust him, at least he's saying the right things about Bitcoin. So I'm going to be optimistic and say if if Trump becomes president again and he has Vivek on his team advising about his Bitcoin policy, that's a pretty good sign. One last note before we get on to our DCA stack. All this focus on price and Wall Street money recently has made it really, really easy to lose track of why we are here. We're here because Bitcoin is freedom money. We're here because Bitcoin is the escape hatch. It's the way to escape the oppression of the state. The Canadian trucker protest was a huge example of that oppression and of that opposition and how Bitcoin can play a role in that opposition. And it's been long enough now that maybe some of you weren't even Bitcoiners yet when that happened. But uh, Tucker Carlson, you know, Tucker on Twitter or at Tucker Carlson on Twitter, he has his Tucker on X series now. Apparently, 
His most recent episode, episode 68, uh, is with Canadian trucker Gord McGill. And Tucker tweeted out, episode 68, whatever happened to the truckers who dared protest Justin Trudeau? Some of them are still in jail years later. Trucker Gord McGill explains how darkness has descended on Canada. So it's important to remember the Canadian truckers. It's important to remember a country like Canada, who everybody thought was like a bastion of liberty and democracy, uh, that, you know, they were the nice, polite people, that nobody ever saw anything like that happening in Canada. Uh, and, and it did. And they were running over old ladies with horses and arresting people for peaceful protests, uh, shutting down bank accounts, canceling their insurance policies, taking away their livelihood, uh, all because they dared park in front of Parliament and in, in protest, silent protest, holding up signs, uh, having parties, you know, cooking for each other. There were kids in bouncy houses. Uh, it was it was far more peaceful of a protest than the quote-unquote mostly peaceful protests we saw in the United States after the George Floyd thing. So uh, I haven't watched that, that, epi- that yet, but I'm certainly going to have to watch it. And if you're new to Bitcoin and you don't know the meat and potatoes of what happened with the Canadian trucker protest, you should go back and, well, you should research at Nobody Caribou because uh, he was a big part of it. And he's been on a lot of podcasts to talk about the aftermath and the things that happened to him because they were using, you know, they were raising money for the protesters and they ultimately ended up using Bitcoin to do so. And they didn't necessarily use best practices. So some of that Bitcoin ended up uh, getting seized and they got in a little bit of trouble and ended up because they were using the same address and and it was KYC. He ended up getting his door kicked in by, by the Mounties. So um, I'm going to watch this episode with Tucker Carlson after I get done with this podcast. And I, I, I recommend you do too, because it sounds, it sounds pretty interesting. And don't forget what happened in Canada. And don't forget the people that stood up to oppression. Don't forget the role that Bitcoin played in helping them do so. All right. So why are we here on a Wednesday? We're here on a Wednesday because every Wednesday is DCA Wednesday. And if you don't know what DCA is, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. And dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 131st stack. We started all the way back on July 28th, 2021. So far, we've stacked 130 Wednesdays in a row. We've converted a total of 2,600 fiat dollars including about $58.50 in fees, into a stack of 8,766,827 sats. We did that just $20 at a time. So that was our equal portion, $20. And I chose $20 because I wanted to choose an amount that showed two things, that anyone listening to this podcast should be able to stack at least $20. I mean, that is a lot of money for some people, not much for others. So this is a do-you-do-you thing, but most people listening can come up with $20 a week to put away for their future. You know, that might be a lot of money, but it's not necessarily considered a lot for savings. But I wanted to show that even just that $20 can make a difference. And I, I think we've already done that. As far as the regular interval goes, we chose weekly on Wednesdays. That again is a you do you thing. Most people that do DCA and whatever they're investing in, whether it's Bitcoin or whatever, they usually do so on payday. So if you get paid once a week, once a week is fine. If you get paid every other week, every other week is fine. The point is consistency, that you invest the same amount of money at the same interval, and you do so without regard to price. Uh, and doing so, we, you know, we started this in between the double tops. So we started, I think, around $35,000, and we stacked all the way up to that all-time high of sixty nine, dollars and then we stacked all the way down to the low. And as a result, that got us our Bitcoin at an average purchase price of $29,657.25, which isn't too shabby. Definitely 
uh, in the green at this point in time. Today, we're going to grow that stack using the Cash App. As I've already mentioned, I love the Cash App because they will let me stack without, um, they will let me transfer my Bitcoin to my hardware wallet without charging me a minor fee. That is something that a lot of services will not do. Most services won't do. Their fee is a little more expensive. They charge about two and a quarter percent uh, in, in fees, but you know that's going to be that's going to be forty five cents for this stack. And we're gonna we would spend more than forty five cents uh, transferring that Bitcoin to our hardware wallet, and they're going to let us do that for free. So I think it all comes out in the wash. Again, this is a you do you thing, uh, but we're going to use Cash App. So I've already got Cash App open. I've already got twenty dollars in there because I was uh, I was going to buy the dip. In fact, I did buy the dip. I bought at thirty eight something because I had a I had a limit order put that if Bitcoin got to thirty eight thousand six hundred to to make a purchase. So woohoo! I snagged some extra sats, but we don't count those for the uh, purposes of our DCA Wednesday series. Uh, I I'm trying to keep the data pristine so we can show you know we can show whether this was a, whether this was a good idea, whether this was a good investment strategy or not. That is, remains to be determined, but I think we're getting pretty good indicators it has been a smart strategy. As I mentioned, had we YOLO'd in back in July of 2021, we would have purchased it. A price of, oh, it was $39,716 was our first purchase. So, uh, you know, we would have YOLO'd in and, and our, our average purchase price would, would be underwater. We'd be, right, we'd be currently, uh, Bitcoin's currently worth less than what we would have paid. So by DCAing, we knocked that down by $10,000 or so. All right, so I've got 20 bucks on my cash app already. I'm tapping Bitcoin, tapping buy, entering $20, tapping confirm, and boom, just like that, we stacked under 49,065 sats. That makes me happy, plebs, because I thought the days of almost 50,000 sats for our $20 stack were over. Last week, we only got 45,000 sats. The week before that, we only got 41,000 sats, so... To stack 49,065 sats makes me really happy. And if Bitcoin gets even lower, I'll be even happier uh, because I'm really, it was really, really, really starting to, to get worried about making that 10 million uh, Satoshi stack. And, you know, we're not going to stop the podcast just because we reached 10 million, whether we reach it or not. That was just, and, and when you stack Bitcoin, when you're a, when you're a pleb and you, you start DCAing, you, you, you tend to change those goals. Like, Initially, your goal might be a quarter Bitcoin, then it's a half Bitcoin, then it's one Bitcoin. You know, it's a sliding scale. Regardless of how big, much Bitcoin you have, you always you always decide you want more, right? So, if we hit ten million, we'll just we'll just change that goal. But we're getting closer because today's forty nine thousand Sats brought our total stack up to eight million eight hundred fifteen thousand eight hundred ninety two Sats. So about one point two million Sats to go to that ten million Sat goal. That is not out of the realm of possibility as long as Bitcoin doesn't go to a million dollars in the next six months like uh, Samson Mao thinks it will. I guess if it does, I'll be happy that our stack has, you know, grown and that hyper-Bitcoinization is occurring. But uh, I'd really like to have a lot more Bitcoin before before hyper-Bitcoinization occurs. So that's why we're stacking as fast as we can, plebs. So that stack also increased our average cost basis by $61.81, so not as bad as the $73 it increased at last week or the $87 it increased at the week before, but still it raised our average purchase price up to $29,719.06, I think is what I said. That's still not too shabby considering that, well, Bitcoin went up a couple hundred dollars while I've been talking. We purchased we purchased it, uh, we purchased it at an effective price of $39,845. So about $200 more than when we started this podcast. 
And speaking of this podcast, I've been talking for almost an hour already. So uh, before I get too much further into this, I want to, again, thank those of you for listening. Thank those of you who've been helping support the podcast through Podcasting 2.0, but also as importantly, asking that you do us that solid and help feed the algorithm monster by liking and subscribing. Uh, whatever the review process is on the app that you use, if you rate or comment on the podcast, if you make sure those automatic downloads are enabled on Apple Podcasts, for example, that will help boost us when they're deciding which podcast to feature to people that are searching for podcasts and help us, you know, hopefully orange pill more people. You can also help feed the algorithm, algorithm monster on Twitter by following us on Twitter at Twitter. We are at BTC bulletin pod, but above and beyond supporting the podcast. I like to hear from you. I want to know what you have to say about this podcast. So you don't have to send us a boost. It would be awesome if you did, but send us a DM on Twitter on X at BTC bulletin pod. Let me know what you think about the podcast. My Noster end pub is, is in the show notes. If you use Noster, if you prefer to use Noster, and if you don't use either and you just want to send us an email, you can send me an email and the email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. That's bitcoinbulletin, like the show, at protonmail.com. Uh, and I'd be really, really interested in your feedback. Of course, if you're listening on Spotify, there's usually a poll or a question in the show notes that you can uh, vote on or comment on as well. Spotify is really big on on the uh, user and actor poll thing that they're the user feedback that they've really been pushing. It's on by default. I don't necessarily select the, the question. I can go in and modify it, but I, you know, it, it is what it is. So I just kind of leave it, leave it, leave it where it's at. And we have had some feedback. Uh, the most recent feedback I have was actually in French. And I think it simply said, I don't understand. Not me. They, they don't understand. And I don't speak French. So I had to use Google translate. Uh, and I didn't have any way to reply to them to find out what it was. They didn't understand. Uh, but by all means, your feedback is important to me. In addition to helping me tailor the podcast to make sure I'm giving you the information that you want, that you find the most useful, it's ingratiating to know where you are and who you are so that when I'm sitting here in front of my laptop talking into this microphone, uh, I know who I'm talking to. But either way, don't forget to join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday while we grow that stack together, while we try and get to that 10 million sats before Bitcoin goes to the moon. But either way, plebs, Keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.